Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. We confess that we don't have all the answers, but as a community, we seek to find and follow Jesus and to discover daily the life he has always wanted for us. We hope this message will be encouraging and will inspire you to take the next steps on your spiritual journey. If we can help you in any way, please connect with us. The easiest way is through our website at ericksoncovenant.ca. Let's get started. Well, friends, congratulations. You stuck with it. You're wondering, with what? <laughs> we are now at the end of our series on the Covenant Affirmations. This is the last of our six, and it's a doozy. The reality of freedom in Christ. Can you, can you just shout with me for a moment? Freedom! Oh, yeah, like that. Come on, people. One, two, three. Oh, that's right. One of you needs to like run back and forth in front of the crowd, right? <laughs> Banging on your shields. Freedom, freedom has become a rallying cry these days, you might have noticed. Often focused on our freedom from constraints, our freedom from rules, our freedom from tyranny, uh, freedom to do uh, what we want as long as we don't harm others. And we are thankful for our freedoms, aren't we? Yeah, we are. We live in a time and a place where basic freedoms are protected for most of us, at least. Freedom to assemble, freedom to worship, freedom from discrimination, freedom to move and work and study and pursue pretty much whatever we desire, as long as we do so within the bounds of established law and cultural mores, we're pretty free. The story of God's people, of course, begins, really gets going as a story of freedom. When God acted decisively on behalf of his enslaved people, sending Moses to secure their freedom, and trouncing the Egyptian king and gods in the process. God loves to bring people freedom. And the true freedom that God brings can be understood as a freedom from and a freedom to. Have you heard this distinction before? I think it's helpful. The children of Israel were freed from tyranny so that they'd be free to worship Yahweh. Uh, They were freed from dead idols so that they'd be free to serve the living God. Uh, They were freed from slavery, so that they would be free to live in covenant faithfulness. Of course, as the story rolls out, if you're familiar with the story, God's people found themselves again and again oppressed and enslaved, and then in the end, in exile again, and they looked to Yahweh for another deliverance, for another exodus, for even another Moses who would rescue them from tyranny and effect salvation for them. And they cried out for freedom. And Jesus, the anointed Messiah, he brought it. Jesus confronts the tyrannical powers of death, of sin, of evil, of the devil to bring freedom to his people. 
But not only freedom for his own people, through his incarnation, through his ministry, through his teaching, through his healings, through his death, his resurrection, his ascension, the gift of the Holy Spirit, Jesus brings freedom to all people, to all nations, to all creation. Freedom from sin, freedom from death, freedom from the fear of death, freedom from addiction, freedom from slavery to spiritual powers, freedom from cultural idols. But gloriously, This freedom from is also a freedom to live, freedom to love, freedom to worship, freedom to follow, freedom to be all that God has created us to be in Christ and by the Holy Spirit, free from dehumanizing religion and free to become fully human in Christ and freedom to actually serve one another. Freedom to actually lay our lives down for the other. To even lay our rights down. Freedom to give up, in fact, certain freedoms so that others can grow, so others can live, so others can experience the good news of Jesus. Freedom to actually not be my own boss. I'm not a very good one. Freedom to entrust myself to the good leadership of Jesus and discover that he leads very well. Well, as we jump into the topic of freedom in Christ this morning, I want us to receive God's word together first. And so I want to invite you just to, for a moment, a few moments of quiet, settling your heart and mind. And we're going to receive God's word today uh, through some uh, practice, ancient practice. We've done it here before, but I want to invite you into it again. It's called Lectio Divina. And some of you are very familiar with that phrase. And some of you are like, he just spoke in tongues. I can't believe it. Some of you are wondering what both of those are about. Lectio Divina is Latin. It just means holy reading. Not that weird, divine reading, holy reading. And, but it's a, it's a beautiful way, and I hope you, it's a kind of thing you can take away and use yourself for your own reading or perhaps in your small group. It's just a way of hearing Scripture, slowly reading it a few times. And so I want to invite you just to quieten your heart and mind as we read our first passage today. It's from Galatians 5. It's a portion of the same passage of last week because there's lots of riches to mine in this one. Uh, But if you would just quiet your heart and mind for a moment, feel free to open your hands if you'd like, or, or close your eyes, and be ready to just listen. You just don't try to do anything this morning. Don't try to analyze. Just receive this word from Galatians 5. For you have been called to live in freedom my brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Just sit in quiet for a moment with that scripture.
We don't need to rush this. As we listen to it a second time, I invite you to notice if there's a word or phrase, an image, something that pops out to you as we simply hear this again. But your job this time is to notice what you hear or what you see. Again, you can close your eyes, you can leave them open, whatever would help you not be so distracted. Open your palms if you'd like. And receive this, noticing what you see or hear. For you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters. But do not use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Again, we just sit with that for a moment, noticing what image or word stood out to you and then just focusing on it. As you hear it a third time, I invite you to focus in on that word or that phrase that you heard and respond. As you hear it, say, yes, say, I receive this, or say, Lord, help me understand, help me obey. And so receive it now a third time. For you have been called to live in freedom, brothers and sisters. But don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. But if you are always biting and devouring one another, watch out. Beware of destroying one another. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. I invite you just to respond. Respond to the Spirit. Respond to the Lord. Respond to whatever is in your heart right now. Just quietly as we sit for another moment with this. Holy Spirit, we want you to guide our lives. Thank you for the freedom that you have accomplished for us, that you have given to us. May we use our freedom to serve one another. In Jesus' name, amen.
Just as a side note, before we continue, that is a beautiful practice that you can incorporate into your daily reading. Taking a passage like that and just reading through it gently a few times, sitting with it, letting it sit with you. Sometimes something will ping out to you and be quite marvelous, and other times it's nothing, and that's fine. But it's a beautiful discipline, a beautiful way of just letting us uh, receive God's word, letting the word of God dwell in us richly. So I hope you can take that with you. Freedom. The world will focus its attention, its definition of freedom on what we are free from. And while there is wonderful truth there that we do not want to lose, without the freedom that the spirit brings, the definition, that kind of freedom that comes from the world will always lead people back into another form of slavery, slavery to self, slavery to another kind of sin, slavery to consequences, often exchanging one tyranny for another. Uh, Reading from our affirmations booklet, and I'm trying to incorporate some of that into our conversations Let me read this. Freedom is frequently a misunderstood concept. In Western culture, freedom is often understood as autonomy and independence. No one, however, can be truly autonomous and independent. Authentic freedom manifests itself in a right relationship with God and others. It is for this reason that freedom in Christ is so highly valued in the covenant church. Freedom is a gift of God in Christ to all who are willing to receive it. If you continue in my word, said Jesus, you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free, from John 8, 31 to 32. And then in another place in this booklet, the booklet I'm referring to is this little one, which you've been giving out, but you also can get a PDF for free online. Um, In another place, it also says, uh, freedom is not for self-indulgence or self-aggrandizement but to serve and love God in whom alone is found true freedom. This sixth covenant affirmation is critical. We really do have freedom in Christ. He really has accomplished freedom for us. And we want to live in that freedom together. We want to enjoy that freedom together. We want to support that freedom in each other. We want to to protect it. But this freedom that we've received is not a freedom that is defined by the world, but a freedom that has been defined, demonstrated, revealed for us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And it has dramatic implications for our life together as a church. And so I'd like to walk us through a little bit more of this booklet and then, frankly, throw it open for some discussion and some questions. I really like how the booklet puts it when it says this. The Covenant Church seeks to focus on what unites followers of Jesus Christ rather than what separates them. The center of our commitment is a clear faith in Jesus Christ. The centrality of the word of God, that's affirmation number one. The necessity of the new birth, affirmation number two. A commitment to the whole mission of the church, that's number three. The church is a fellowship of believers, number four, and a conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit, number five, form the parameters in which freedom is experienced. Here, followers of Christ find security to offer freedom to one another on issues that might otherwise 
divide. There's a lot packed in here, but it's super important. When we think of these six covenant affirmations, we can kind of arrange them like this. And thanks to Dan for making this graphic for me based on hand-scratched scan that I sent to him. This, I think, is helpful because what you see is that our first and foremost affirmation is the centrality of God's word. It's more than just our first affirmation. It sits at the head of our, of, of our constitution as a church. It's, it's really the only confession that we have as a covenant church, that the evangelical covenant church confesses that the Holy Scripture, the Old and the New Testament, is the word of God and the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, and conduct is where we started. This is online. If you want to dig further, it's our very first affirmation just at the start of the series. And what this means is that together we submit to the authority of God's word. We declare that it is God's word that's the only perfect rule for faith, for life, for conduct, for, for the things that matter, the things that we believe. That's why one of our central questions is, where is it written? Not in an arrogant or an elitist sense, but a, a genuine brother to sister sense of like, how do we get around God's word? How do we orient our life around what God has said so that we are, we are actually asking and submitting to and wanting to obey what God has revealed to us through the word of God so that together our lives can actually be aligned with God's will revealed to us. So that's first, and you can see how it surrounds everything else. It could, be, it could be in the background. It could be pictured as the foundation. It could be pictured as the heading. But graphics have limitations, so um, surrounds everything else. Affirmations then, two through five, the next four affirmations, they define key areas of covenant conviction. I've already relayed them, we, but we really do believe it. We really do believe that it's not just like an optional thing of experiencing new birth in Christ. It's a necessity. There needs to be a regeneration. There needs to be something new that the Holy Spirit starts within us because we are in a place where we're, we're in trouble. We're tainted. We're sinful. We're, you know, we need new life in Christ, the new creation God needs to bring in. And that, in fact, creates a change in us that brings us into the family of God. So the church isn't just a social club. We get together, we do some nice things, we smile, we have coffee. But rather, the church consists of, I don't mean just our gathering, because you know, anyone's welcome to our gathering. You do not have to be a believer. You do not have to be a follower of Jesus. In fact, if you aren't, I'm just so thrilled you're here. I'm so thrilled you've joined us online. But in fact, the church, quote, capital C, is, is actually a group of people through no good of their own have recognized their need for Jesus, and they believe in him. So it's not like they're particularly nice or good people. We all can agree with that, right? Right? Yeah. There can be very frail, very messed up. But they all are pointing to Jesus and saying, Jesus is the one. Yeah, I know I'm a mess, but you look at him. Please look at him. He's the one we believe in. We believe he died and rose again. We believe he's the son of God. We believe it's because of him that we live. So that's who the church is fellowship of believers. And together then, we're committed to this whole mission that Jesus has given us. We don't just talk about souls getting their tickets punched to heaven. We talk about heaven invading earth, God's kingdom coming, his will being done here on earth, and us sort of living into that by the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, which is the fifth one, the one in whom we are dependent, consciously dependent. We need God's Spirit to lead us, to move us, to make a way for us so that we can 
both understand his word and live in the light of this new creation and be in fellowship with each other and be on the mission he sent us on. We're dependent on the Holy Spirit. These are core convictions to who we are as a covenant church. And of course, you're thinking, well, this is also core convictions for other churches. Yes, of course. But as we talk about who we are, you're going to see how connected that makes us with the rest of the Christian body. But it defines who we are. These first five, so including centrality of God's word, including the other four, are, as the booklet puts it, the parameters that surround this sixth affirmation, the reality of our freedom in Christ. We are free. And in the Evangelical Covenant Church, we actually allow for a tremendous amount of diversity within the body of Christ. Some of you found that quite disconcerting, actually. Because the allowance for diversity is pretty wide. Freedom in Christ is honored and upheld. And yet, we have to acknowledge it's, it's actually not the freedom to simply go anywhere you want. Like, who cares? It's just a total free-for-all, theologically or morally or otherwise. There's actually a tension here. And so a little further down in the Affirmations booklet, we hear this, these words, which help us understand even more. The covenant church has sought to honor the tensions inherent in this freedom, because we can all feel them, right? Like, what do you mean it's, a, it's that wide? What do you mean there's diversity? There's tensions in how much is allowed and how much is too far. The covenant church, I'm quoting again, has understood that God's word is sovereign over every human interpretation of it, including its own. Covenant freedom operates within the context set by other principles the covenant church regards as primary, particularly the authority of Scripture. See how everything's coming back to that? Within these parameters, the principle of freedom applies to doctrinal issues that might tend to divide. With a modesty born of confidence in God, covenanters have offered to one another theological and personal freedom. I lost my spot. They have offered theological and personal freedom where the biblical and historical record seems to allow for a variety of interpretations of the will and purposes of God. You understand that? We look around and we look at the church historically, the Christian Orthodox church historically, the biblical record, and we say, yeah, I might have a really strong opinion on this. I might really think this is right. But when I look at the history of the church, when I look back 2,000 years, I can recognize that other Christians, spirit-filled, Bible-believing, under the authority of God's word, in fellowship with each other, have, oh my goodness, come to a different opinion than I have. Anyone? So there's an allowance for something in there that says, okay, I guess I got to be charitable. I guess they're my brothers and sisters. So the covenant churches have allowed freedom where the biblical and historical record seems to allow for a variety of interpretations of the will and purposes of God. This has at times, no surprise, led to controversy over such matters as, and then it gives a list of some, some, some samples, baptism, the second coming of Christ, the precise nature of inspiration, or how the atonement may be understood, 
and various matters of life and practice. Nevertheless, commitments to the Bible as the Word of God and the historical interpretive consensus of the Christian church, which is a fancy way of saying actually that word we never like to use, but it's called tradition. That is, broadly speaking, what have Christians agreed on forever? That has some bearing on us. We don't just wake up one morning and decide, I'm going to change the confession of faith today because I feel like it. We, we stand in a history with a tradition. And so with these commitments to the Bible as the word of God and the historical interpretive consensus of the Christian church, those have remained a constant in the life of the covenant church. And this commitment to freedom, I'm quoting again, has kept the covenant church together when it would have been easier to break fellowship and further divide Christ's body, end quote. Um, this I've talked about a little bit in, uh, throughout the series when we recognized, when, even when the covenant was formed, there was a desire to say, Psalm 119.63, right? I'm a companion of all who fear you, of those who obey your precepts. I, I'm, I'm recognizing that we don't need to have every single subpoint agreement on every single idea that has emerged in the Christian church to be in fellowship with each other because Jesus doesn't require that. And so how do we be the church together? Well, this reality of freedom in Christ and how the covenant has sought to navigate that has not always been easy, but I think it's been profoundly helpful. And it's one of the aspects that I personally, as someone who's only been in the covenant for a little over a decade, I found this awesome. I love this so much. Probably plays a little bit to my personality of a, wanting everyone to be included and no one to be excluded, but I admit that. But what I love about it is the way it honors freedom, but within boundaries with a centered view, a commitment to the person of Jesus Christ. It means that in submission to Scripture and in love for each other, we can actually allow difference. We can actually allow diversity. We can even allow disagreement and yet maintain unity in Christ, seeking to understand each other and to follow Christ as brothers and sisters who are committed, or dare I say, covenanted, together. The reality is, we are free in Christ. Doesn't mean there's no boundaries, doesn't mean there's no wrong theology, or wrong thinking, or no ethical, no moral, no, it doesn't mean that, there is guidance. But it does mean that spirit-filled Scripture-submitted Christians hailing from a variety of perspectives and cultures and times and personalities and languages, they have arrived to different answers in things. And they're my brother and they're my sister. And so we allow that kind of diversity in order that we might continue to follow Jesus together and preserve what is essential and what is true. Now, let me ask you, I just want to throw it up for some questions here. When you consider this sixth affirmation, the little bit you've heard of it today, and I hope in your small groups you have a time to dig in deeper. If you're not in a small group, I encourage you to make one this week. Go up for coffee with a few people and discuss this. But when you consider this sixth affirmation, how does it help us remain both united and diverse? How does this help us? Thoughts? Shout it out. I'll repeat it for those who are online with us today. How does it help us remain both united and diverse? Ideas? Thoughts? 
allows for growing maturity in faith. My second question was, how does it help us mature as believers? So let's follow that one down a little more, Olin. What, how, does it, how does it do that? Uh, let me throw it out to Olin or anyone. How does this particular uh, freedom in Christ, this reality freedom, how does that help us mature? Right. Right. So let me, I'll try to reiterate it for the camera. We really do need to get a roving mic, don't we? Online people, because you just missed Crystal's brilliant insight, which I'm going to now massacre. But what she was saying was that. Um, you know, how, how, one of the ways this helps us mature is that when we are in a disagreement with a brother or sister and we focus on Christ together, we can recognize that, first of all, we're able to learn from each other. Um, as we focus on Christ, we are able to define more clearly, you didn't exactly say this, but like what really matters and what doesn't. But then in humility down the road, you were saying to recognize like, oh, like maybe that person was right. Have you ever changed your mind on anything? Maybe that person was right. And, or maybe I've just, I learned an aspect from them. Maybe even, this is beautiful, this is part of maturity. Maybe even just the way in which they disagreed taught me maturity. Because do we all know that there are ways of disagreeing immaturely? And there are ways of disagreeing with maturity? We're all familiar with that one? And so even, even, even in dialogue with another believer that we might have quite a disagreement, we can learn from each other, right? Even in the way in which we do that, there can be maturity. Others, how, do, how does this mature us? This can Yes. So, Kenny, beautiful. As we grow in maturity, we, are, we, will, we will take less offense at things. We're not going to get so worked up. We, allow, we understand that there's variety or difference or different disagreement. We're able to ha- actually hold that with more openness. I'm not going to get all charged up and upset with you because you had the nerve of disagreeing with me. But rather, oh, like, it's all right. Especially as we focus back on Christ together, recognizing what, what really is essential. Part of the reason, let me just add to that, part of the reason why people often get so upset is they actually aren't clear on what's essential. And so if you don't actually know what matters, you, you might think, I've got I've to die on this hill. When Jesus is going, what are you doing dying on that hill? There's only one hill you should be dying on, and I already died on it. What are you doing? You know, so the, the sense of like, when you get really clear on, like, this is what matters, it allows for more freedom to understand, oh, there's, there is, you know, a friend of mine, um, a pastor friend of mine a few weeks ago uh, in Chicago said to me that he, he, he thinks of it this way. This is using some military language, and if that offends you. <clears throat> <laughs> but he said it was helpful for him to think of there's certain things I'm willing to die for, certain willing th- things I'm going to defend, 
and certain things to discuss. And he, he thought that was a helpful way of dividing, like, you know, die, is this a die issue? Is this a defend issue? Or is this a discuss issue? And, and, and that's a, maybe a helpful way of thinking through. There's certain things that we were like, no, we die for that. Uh, but there's certain things, that, no, I really feel very strongly about that, but I recognize it's in the, it's in the body of Christ, and there are different, um, but we're, we're going to have some real heartfelt conversations about this. Holy Spirit, give us strength and maturity. And then there's other things we're like, I don't really care. Like, let's discuss it. Let's talk about it. It doesn't matter to me, right? So we can have that. But as we do that, as we hold space for each other, we mature relationally in our ability to actually have disagreement. Other thoughts on how this matures us? I, I want to hammer down this one a little more. We learn to love and give grace in spite of, not because of. Can you define that a little? What do you mean by in spite of versus because of? Okay. Okay. Right, so a difference doesn't automatically prevent or mean, oh, I can't love this person. I can't be in fellowship with this person. That's not what that means. How do we, how do we actually lean into Jesus together and, and recognize that I can, I can love across a line? I can love someone that thinks differently than me. And, and that is a sign of, I just want to name what I sort of already said, that is a sign of emotional maturity. Someone that is unable to be in relationship with, have a good conversation with, um, particularly within the body of Christ, to, to pray with or support because they think differently about X, Y, or Z, that, that, is, that indicates a need for emotional maturity, emotional growth. And so when we, when you, if you find yourself pushing people away because they think differently than you, just they, may be, they might be wrong. Like, don't even hear me. I'm not even saying they're right. But I'm saying when we, we were like, whoa, I do not want to be around that person. We have to ask ourselves, oh, what's going on here, Lord? How are, you, how are you wanting to grow me here? Because we should be confident in Jesus in such a way that when we're with people that disagree with us, inside or outside the faith, we shouldn't feel threatened by that. We should be able to be at peace with that. Um, and I know that's a process, and it's a process in my own life. Uh, but that's the, the goal. As we grow in maturity, there's a sense of where. It's okay. It's all right if someone thinks differently than me. I think differently than me on lots of days. You know, I have change. I, it's okay. And even if they are really wrong, my job is to love and to point people to Jesus. And then if they are in the family of faith, particularly if they're in this covenant family, to be able to say, to say in humility, well, where is it written? Like, let's go back to Scripture together. Let's not just grab opinions out of the air. But let's, let's surround ourselves, because it is important to recognize we, we respect uh, diversity of theological and, and some, some uh, on practice. We respect that. What we're not saying is, hey, if you think it's right, I'm going to support you. We're not, that, that's, that's too low. We're saying, well, no, we want to live our lives in submission to Scripture. And so how do we actually grow together? Well, we come back to the Word together. Where is it written? How do we understand that? How do we wrestle with it? Because it isn't just a free-for-all, but rather, how do we understand this word of God that's been given to us 
the only perfect rule for faith, doctrine, conduct. How do we live according to what God has told us? And how do we do that together? Respecting that there's difference, but yet oriented around God's word together. See the difference there? We can do that, though, without throwing daggers, without biting and devouring one another. We can do that with a spirit of gentleness and respect and find that the Holy Spirit uses the actual disagreements and conflicts to grow us, to mature us in faith. Frankly, to help some of you relax and others of you wake up, but together to grow in Christ, right? right. So our identity in Christ, when that is solid, I mean that, and that's the thing I think we, when we talk about like, what's essential, what's true, what, what are we all sort of in agreement on? I mean, that's the kind of thing, even if there is a disagreement with a brother or sister, even if we're wrestling through something, to be able to affirm what is true of each other and to be settled in who we are in Christ. To, sometimes it's even helpful in a conversation to say, let's just remember as we talk about this particular thing we're disagreeing with, let's just remember who we are in Christ. Let's remember as we're looking at someone, uh, and, and I, I, I might be tempted, the world wants you to push away. The world wants you to demonize or at least put somebody into some other category rather than pulling them close and saying, this is a brother of mine, a sister of mine, with whom I'm having a disagreement. But how do I remember who they are as image bearers of God, filled with the Holy Spirit? How do I pray for them, hold them up? And, you know, and to do that, rooted in our identity of Christ, it makes us less fragile, less shaky, less fearful. Other, other thoughts, um, questions, or broaden it out, wherever you want to go. We got time. <laughs> Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so like a child who when they're in the early stages are given a lot more parameters, a lot more direction, a lot more nose. But as they grow, we want them to grow into their freedom, right? And to begin to make choices. This is actually another reason why, like, step back to the fifth affirmation. A conscious dependence on the Holy Spirit is essential. We need to grow together in that. Uh, But remembering that the Holy Spirit is the one we're aligning our lives with. And as we mature in Christ, we come to a greater experience and understanding of our freedom in Christ. And how that leads us, of course, to serve one another. Um, in the booklet, I didn't write out the quote for this one, but in the booklet, right at the very end of this section, it's interesting just to, just to tag on what you said, Amanda, uh, that they said, um, the covenant church cherishes this freedom in Christ and recognizes, as one of our forebears put it, the freedom is a gift and the last of all gifts to mature. <laughs> in the meantime, there will be questions and conflicts.
full maturity and full understanding await the day when, quote, the kingdom of this world become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ when he shall reign forever and ever. But in the meantime, we offer freedom to one another. Since for covenant people, freedom is not something we claim for ourselves, but offer to one another. In this, we are simply sharing the gift of freedom God has given us in Jesus Christ. So it's connected to our maturity, isn't it? I think both our experience of this freedom, how we approach it, how we offer it to one another, what we use our freedom for, even how we navigate forward, it will be a process of maturity, but also a way in which we experience that and grow into that as the body of Christ. It's beautiful. Any, any closing questions or thoughts, comments? Cameron. Right, it helps us approach people, not only, you were saying, within the church, and we are specifically trying to sketch out our, you could say, our sort of understanding as a covenant church, but you're wanting to say this also helps us engage with other Christians across other lines. You mentioned LGBTQ, as well as uh, global Asia, you mentioned specifically. So there's a sense in which, how do we, rooted in Christ, in authority of Scripture, also engage with people that might be part of the communion of faith, might not be, but having this freedom in Christ, I mean, we're going we're gonna to work with it perhaps differently if it's a person who's a confessing follower of Jesus and someone who's not, but I believe that maturity that the Holy Spirit grows in us, the ability to engage with people who are, who are in disagreement, that actually has beautiful application, frankly, right in your home with your, with your people. But extending out to anyone, uh, we don't have to feel threatened. We don't have to feel, um, oh, no, I'm, I don't know what to do. You know, we can, we can kind of be calmer, be more at peace, dependent on the Holy Spirit, submitted to the authority of God's word, and engaging conversations with people that maybe are wildly different. So thank you for that, Cameron. Specifically within the covenant communion, or even within us here at the Erickson Covenant Church, um, we're, we're, we're wanting to say, how do we actually engage one another? Because often what we do is um, we just avoid. I'm a classic avoider. Like, if there's a hard conversation to be had, I will find ways of avoiding that. Anyone with me on that? Anyone? And so a huge area of maturity in my life is the Holy Spirit going, "Uh, uh, uh, uh-uh-uh-uh, I'll let you put it off for a week or two, but you can't keep doing it that way. So engaging, and remember, that leads us to true unity or an experience of truer unity. Because we often, we, we think of unity as the kids aren't fighting in the back room. That's unity. Not necessarily. One could be gagged in a corner. The other one could have been thrown out the window. You know, quietness is not always an indication of unity. And so we can, though, be guilty of, uh, uh, as a church of saying, oh, we're just unified because we actually never have any hard conversations. We never talk. We never say, man, when you did that the other day, like, that really ticked me off. 
Or when, when you said that, I was hurt. Now, maybe I need to grow up and stop being less offended. Ding. But also, I'm going to feed back to you. Like, when you say that kind of thing, that hurts. And let's have that conversation. Or perhaps something was said at a Bible study. You're like, oh, that was wrong. But I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to wreck our unity. No, 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 no. Lean into it. Let it be a good conversation between brothers and sisters. Submit it to the scripture. Let's, let's do this together. That's where our unity drives deeper. Instead of just this facade of unity where everything looks nice, but really it's because no one really deals with anything. We're all parts of families that do that too, right? That fake unity over a meal because we just, you know, avoid certain topics. And there's wisdom there especially with some of your families. But in the family of God, we should be able to approach these things. We should be able to do that. And so there's a lot of uh, emotional challenge, a lot of growth that has to occur in our lives as we, as we do that together. Dennis, did you have a comment or question? Did I see your arm up? No, it was just my imagination that a white plaid shirt hand was up. Dennis, I apologize. Yes. Yes. Asking, I just want to repeat for the camera, asking the Lord to help us see people through his eyes. And you mentioned specifically that Galatians passage where there's neither slave nor free, male nor female, Jew nor Greek. And that's specifically referring to these cultural um, dividers that, that every, everything in the world tells us this is how you should view people. But in the body of Christ, no, 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 no. We view people through the lens of Jesus, the new creation lens. And I don't view, oh, the, this person's up there and this person's down here. No, no, no. Not in Christ, they're not. And so how do we view one another through the eyes of Jesus? And what a beautiful prayer that is. If, if you ever are in a disagreement with, and it could be someone close to you, someone in your family, someone in your bedroom, it could be someone extended out to workplace, to say, Lord Jesus, help me see this person with your eyes. Another way of being consciously dependent on the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I need you today to help me not see him or her the way that I always do or the way everyone does as that irritating, annoying, difficult, you know, all the things. Lord Jesus, help me see this person through the eyes of your son, the eyes of Jesus. Help me see this person for the loved person that they are. And what a beautiful prayer that is to have especially when we're engaging with someone that might be more difficult. Eileen? Okay. So Eileen's just pointing out how this is a beautiful time of year, particularly with the Christmas hampers, of, of kind of showing that in a world that's very divided, and often churches right along with it, because we accept all the same things often, um, to see the, the churches or the church working together to show the love of Christ to the valley is a beautiful, it points to that, right? We got our disagreements. I'm part of that ministerial. We don't agree on things, folks. But we do love Jesus. And we do love each other. And we're committed to serving the community together. So there's a beautiful picture that sort of merges here at Christmas. That's a beautiful thing. Well, hey, 
I hope you'll take this conversation further. Those of you who are in small groups, represents about 50 of you. Take it deeper. Fight a little. In Christ. You know what I'm saying? I wonder if you'd stand with me. Let's commit this to Lord Jesus. And as the worship team comes to lead us in a final song. Lord Jesus Christ, you accomplished our freedom on the cross. It was hard won. Hard won. You're worth more than any of us. You're worth more than the world you created. And you laid down your freedom for us so that we could be free. And there's some beautiful logic in here, Lord, that you laid down your freedom for us so we could be free. And now you turn to us and say, now lay down your freedom so that others could be free. And we recognize, Lord, that we are often immature in how we deal with this. We just want to be right. Darn it. And forgive us, Lord, for those times where we're being far more driven by arrogance or by um, angst or by anxiety or, or, or just by a desire to be right than we are to even follow you, to even understand your word and be submitted to it. And definitely than loving others. And so this, this sixth affirmation, Lord, I pray that you would help us navigate that well as a congregation. Help us not to be afraid, afraid of the, the um, conversations that might bubble up, the immaturity that might be revealed, our defensiveness or our angst, or help us not to be worried, but help us to relax in you. You hold the church. You hold us. We are yours. And may we, with that identity firmly rooted in you, may we offer freedom to one another, grace to one another. Thank you for your revealed word. Thank you that we can stand underneath it. Thank you for your Holy Spirit who leads us and guides us. May we celebrate your freedom. Enjoy it. Even as we offer it to one another in you. We give you praise and glory and thanks for being our God, our King, our Deliverer. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. We hope you feel encouraged and challenged. If you know someone who would benefit from what you have heard today, please share this podcast. For more information, or if you have questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for Erickson Covenant Church.